Good morning, Christ Prez. It's a new year and we're starting a new series this morning. We're calling it The Way of Jesus. For the next many weeks, we're going to be in the Gospel according to Mark. The Gospel of Mark is the earliest written account we have of Jesus' life. It was probably written in the mid-60s, and so that's about 30 years after Jesus' death. In Mark, as, as we go through this Gospel together, you'll see that Jesus is a man of action. We learn more about who Jesus is from Mark by what he does than by what he says. Mark often uses the word immediately to move us from one scene to another, and he writes in the present tense, which um, kind of subtly reminds us that Jesus is not just a historical figure, but a person who confronts us here and now today as a living reality. As we go through Mark together, we'll see the way of Jesus as he enters into our world, learning about his radical acts of love, healing, forgiveness, power. But also we'll see again and again that Jesus invites us onto his way. He invites us to make his way our way as he calls us to turn away from our old allegiances and to follow him. Our scripture is Mark chapter one, verses one through eight. Hear the word of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a belt, a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's dig into this passage by looking at what Mark tells us here about Jesus' identity, who he is, and then we'll ask, how do we prepare the way for him? Okay, so first, who is Jesus? Right away in the first verse, Mark writes, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This tells us something very important about Jesus' identity. It tells us that Jesus is the human Messiah. Where do we see that? It's in the word Christ. It's not Jesus' last name, remember. It's a title, which means that Jesus is the anointed one. He's the king. He's the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for. Every time we read Jesus Christ in the New Testament, we're reading Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah. Mark also says that Jesus is the son of God. This actually isn't a direct claim about Jesus' divinity. Uh, In the ancient Greco-Roman world, there were lots of sons of gods. Uh, Rulers, poets, philosophers, heroes, these all could be sons of gods. In the Jewish tradition, though, the title Son of God was associated with Israel's messianic expectations. In Exodus, Israel is called God's firstborn son. They are the people through whom God is going to accomplish his purposes for the world. But Israel fails again and again to be the people God calls them to be. And over time, the concept of divine sonship narrows and becomes fixed on one person, the Messiah, 
And so when Mark calls Jesus the Son of God, it's really another way of emphasizing that Jesus is this expected Messiah. But it also brings out his unique relationship with God as Father. By calling Jesus the Son of God, Mark is saying that he's cluing us into the fact that somehow Jesus is going to do everything that Israel was called to do, but failed to do. Here, finally, is the true Son of God that we've been waiting for. So Jesus is the human Messiah. He's the one who, as a human being, is going to fulfill God's plan for the world. But that's not all. Look at verses 2 and 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. What Mark is doing here is amazing. He's quoting a piece of Isaiah 40, which actually also brings in a little bit from um, Micah and from um, Exodus. But if you go back and read Isaiah 40, you'll see that it's a prophecy about how one day God himself is going to visit his people so that all his glory will be revealed among the people. And God himself will lead his people and care for his people. And so Isaiah says, prepare the way of the Lord. God himself is on the way. Now Mark is looking back on this and he identifies John the Baptist as the messenger who comes before the Lord. So John the Baptist is the voice of one calling in the desert. But what does that mean? It means that Mark is identifying Jesus as the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. Now here's why this is such a big deal. In the Hebrew, the word that gets translated Lord is the word Yahweh. It's God's personal name that was revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Mark is saying that Isaiah's prophecy has been fulfilled, that this God, the creator God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who revealed himself to Moses, has now come personally as Jesus Christ. It's a remarkable claim. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say that the early Christians just followed Jesus as a great teacher, and that it wasn't until a hundred years or so later that people considered him to be divine. Well, that's just not true. Here are the earliest Christians saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. I mean, that's the earliest Christian confession, and it just can't develop and evolve into anything greater than that. For a Jew living in the first century, that's as high a claim as can be made. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's apply this a little bit. What difference does this make? Let me suggest a few things. First, because Jesus is human and divine, Jesus frees us from the burden of religion. You know, every religion says that God is out there, and here are things you have to do to get to him. At their heart, the other religions depend on you. And, and this is a burden. It means that your salvation depends on you living in certain ways. It means that your relationship with God is conditional. What does that do to a person's motives? Why am I a nice person? So that I can win God's favor. Why do I live a disciplined life? So that God will accept me in the end. See, this is religion. It gives us hoops to jump through. It says, if you do this, then God will love you and accept you and welcome you. Christianity says that God has come to us, that there's nothing that we can do to make him love us any less or any more than he does right now. It's not about us working our way up to God, but about God coming down to us out of sheer grace and entering into a relationship with us based on sheer grace. And so our Christian lives aren't shaped by fear and anxiety, but rather by joy 
and gratitude. We don't have to earn God's love because in Jesus we see that he's already given it to us for us for free. Second, Jesus shows us that God is with us in our suffering. You know, if you're hurting, what good does it do to try to share your pain with someone who has no clue what you're going through? What good would it do to share your pain with someone who has never felt pain? See, Jesus, family, is the only God with wounds. He's not distant and far off. He knows what it's like to feel lonely, to feel abandoned, to be rejected, to bleed, and to die. And so here's one who can actually identify with us and empathize with us when we suffer. Jesus shares our suffering, and we need that. Also, third, Jesus shows us how to be truly human. A lot of times when we think of Jesus, we think of him as being something other than human. But no, um, the claim of Mark and the claim of, of all the New Testament is that Jesus Christ is divine, but he's also a true human being. Because, because he was divine, he's the ultimate human being. Um, and, and so we can look at his life and see how humans are really supposed to live. We can see what human life is really supposed to be like. Seeing his way of life is an invitation to us to adjust our own ways of life, to see maybe that we've been on the wrong road, maybe moving in the wrong direction. See, looking at Jesus, it shows us what humans are supposed to care about. It shows us how we're supposed to relate to God and depend on God. It shows us how we're supposed to love others and prioritize those loves. Jesus demonstrates what it looks like to be a true human being. And of course, we need that. We need to have our lives shaped by his example and teachings and his priorities and agenda. Just one last um, way that we might apply this. Jesus alone is worthy of our worship and allegiance. When's the last time you fell to your knees and worshiped Jesus Christ? You know, Paul tells us that there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And how tragic would it be if that's the first time that your knees hit the ground worshiping Jesus? Family, you can do that here now. You can do that today. Worship Jesus Christ as Lord. All right, so who is Jesus? He's divine and he's human. He's the eternal who has entered into the temporal. He's the infinite who has become an embryo. He's the creator God who has come to be the king of his people. Do you believe this? Have you let this truth pierce you and has it become the foundation of your life? He's the divine Lord and he's the human Messiah. Worship him. Let's also ask, how can we prepare the way for his coming to us? Look again at verse four. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. The Greek is a word metanoia. It means to change your mind or to alter your understanding. Um, The idea here is that in light of the reality that the Lord is coming, 
we need to change. There are ways of being and living that fit with the reality of God's coming kingdom. And there are also ways of being and living that fundamentally contradict the reality of God's kingdom. The call to repentance is a call to change. It's, to, it's a call to adjust our lives to fit God's inbreaking kingdom. And I wonder, as we begin this new year, where in your life is the Lord calling you to repent? Where is he calling you um, not just to confess your sin, but to actually change your mind about it, to walk away from it so that it's left in the past? What needs to change in your life so that it fits with the reality of God's coming kingdom? We prepare the way by repenting. That's what John shows us, John the Baptist. But also, we prepare the way by receiving. Look again at verse 5. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. It's easy to miss how surprising this would have been uh, without some knowledge of the historical context and practice. Remember, uh, we've talked about this before, but as far as we know, before John the Baptist, no one was doing this. I mean, yeah, there were ritual cleansings and washings and immersions, um, but people did this because there was a recognition that they needed to be clean in the presence of a holy God. And so, for example, Gentiles needed to do it if they wanted to enter into the community of God's people, if they wanted to become Jewish. They had to be cleansed first. That's what baptism represented. It was like taking a spiritual bath. If you want to be physically clean, you take a bath. If you want to be um, spiritually clean, you do a baptism. And there you go. You're ready to enter into the people of God. Gentiles were baptized, but Jews were not baptized. Why not? Because they were already in. But here comes John the Baptist and he says, this is for everybody. He says, everybody come get into the water. Jews and Gentiles, you all need this. This would have been so surprising for the people that everyone was called to this baptism. But also notice, John says, not only does everyone need this baptism, but everyone needs to receive this baptism. See, John is inviting others to be baptized by him. In that day, remember, the Gentile baptism needed for conversion, it was self-administered. You didn't need another person to baptize you. You could do it yourself. You just find some water, you take a bath. And John says, no, if you want to be ready for the Lord, you have to let another person make you clean. This is something you simply cannot accomplish for yourself. You cannot provide this for yourself. Your best spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical effort cannot make you clean. Your New Year's resolutions will be insufficient. Your best habit formation strategy will fall short. This baptism is something you have to receive as a gift. Receive it from whom? Well, John had a baptism. But do you remember what we always have to do with John the Baptist? We have to follow his finger. What does John the Baptist always do? He points us to Jesus Christ. And that's what he does here. He says, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At the beginning of 2022, do you know, family, what your deepest need is? It's God. Your deepest need is for God himself. And that's who Jesus brings. That's who Jesus is. 
John is saying, look, I'm, I'm here at the Jordan River and I'm plunging you into the water. Jesus, when he comes, will plunge you into the Holy Spirit. He'll plunge you down into God himself. Are you still trying to cleanse yourself? It must be exhausting. Can you let God do it? You know, God can handle the mess. It's not just that God can handle the mess. It's that he's the only one who can handle it and he wants to do it. Jesus baptizes sinful people into the Holy Spirit. It's a cleansing that lasts. God gives himself to us in the Son and in the Spirit. Family, will you receive that gift? The entire Gospel of Mark, we'll see, is a story about God's journey as Jesus to find us and to save us, to rescue us. Prepare the way of the Lord. The way uh, could be translated road. We'll see that this is a theme in Mark's Gospel. But where does it lead? You know, every other place where Mark talks about the way of Jesus, he's talking about this long road that leads Jesus to the cross. This is where the king is going. Not to a throne, but to a cross. Not to a place of power, but to a place of helplessness and weakness. It's something no one expected. It's something people still resist and reject because it, it sounds so foolish that the king wouldn't conquer, but that he would die the death of a common criminal. But right here at the very beginning, Mark calls it good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's good news because the holy God of the universe cares for us so much that he is willing to lay down his life for us so that we may live with him. How will you respond? In his own time, people either feared Jesus and fled from him, they hated him and wanted to kill him, or they loved him and they followed him. They either moved in the opposite direction, usually as fast as they could, or they joined Jesus on the way. Let's join Jesus on the way, family. See who he is and receive the gift of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.